all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show. Hello and welcome everybody to the Early Careers Podcast with me, Jack Denton, and Ollie Sibler. So today we have with us Alex Parks from AIA and we're going to talk through a variety of different topics today and Ollie is going to introduce our guest to you. Yes, well, so Alex, we've known you for uh, a while. Um, tell us a bit more about kind of who you are and how you've got into the role you are at um, AIA today. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm the future talent strategist at AIA, so um, really helping the teams with any insight in the early careers market, all things from schools outreach, apprentices, interns, graduates and beyond. Um, and yeah, so at AIA, which is a recruitment advertising agency, um, been there for about 10 years now, so a piece of furniture. Um, and yeah, really just working with employers to make sure that we come up with the best campaigns that we can. Sounds good. So in your LinkedIn bio, we've done a bit of research on you, mm-hmm. uh, you cite a comprehensive understanding of the campus life cycle, as well as a strong grasp of what looks good in terms of the candidate's journey. So what would you say uh, in today's market is an effective candidate journey? <laughs> I feel like I could talk for hours about <laughs> this. <laughs> um, I think whenever I interrogate a campaign to work out whether there's any holes in it, um, I like to put myself in the shoes of the candidate, or as I like to consider them, the consumer. Um, so almost thinking of it as if it was a shopping experience, um, probably because I like shopping, um, <laughs> and thinking about whether it's, it satisfies what I need at every stage of the process. So for example, um, you know, am I left with a load of questions or are they all answered when I'm looking through the website or the brochure or and sort of, um, attraction materials? Um, and if I do have questions, is there um, a way that we can um, make the navigation easier so that they can find the answers more easily? Or is there an opportunity that it's more human interaction? So, for example, there's a, an opportunity to ask questions via WhatsApp or a Facebook uh, live Q&A at a certain time or, or something like that. Um, then there is considering the parts that we know are always used the most by candidates. So, for example, hints and tips pages are what we see the highest traffic rates to, beyond uh, apart from apply, um, on almost all of our early careers sites. So they need to be really robust. And if we can get it into any other parts of the process, so for example, any social media messaging or anything like that, um, then hints and tips should be a, a consideration. And it also helps with the confidence building bit. We know a lot of students pull out of the application process because they lack the confidence, so it helps to prepare them. Um, And then I suppose on the assessment side of things, you're also still being judged. So we like to consider right through to that piece. So um, I think the average number, certainly on the grad side, of um, sort of roles that students are applying to now is something like 16. Um, And so you're still being compared at that point. And, you you know, the great candidates are going to get several of those offers. And so... Um, you know, not just the assessment process, um, we know that there's things like virtual reality coming into play, so you know, some processes might seem cooler than others. Um, but then also the Keep Warm initiatives, um, so in terms of how many, um, you know, how, how many times are we going to keep in contact with someone after they've been offered the role, because we've put in all of that work, um, but then they're not going to get anything afterwards. 
um, you know, are we going to lose them at that part of the of the process? Um, and I know it can be something quite small. So an example of um, a key form initiative that worked at one of the focus groups that we ran, um, and someone that joined Accenture who'd been offered by all of the other um, consultancies, when asked why he chose there, he said, it's because they sent me a hoodie on my birthday before I joined. Wow. And I was like, okay, was that enough? And he said, yeah, you know, it shows that they care about their people, they remembered my birthday, they sent me something in the post to, you know, say, happy birthday, and it's surprising what small things can make a huge difference when they're at that stage of their career. Um, so that's sort of a consideration. Um, and then also the onboarding piece, just to make sure that they're comfortable when they come in on day one and they're ready to perform at their best, really. So if you, you know, if, you're talk, if we were talking about the candidate journey mm -hmm. and you had to put it into stages, like three stages or five stages, yeah. is, is there a number of stages you could put it into or is it, too, is it different for each organisation that you work with? Um, I mean, from a campaign perspective, we'd normally think of it as a sort of attraction, consideration, and action point, sort of step by step. So that would be the three key parts to it? Yeah. Um, but obviously, from a candidate's point of view, depending on how they come at it, um, they might have any number of things that they feel they need more information on for lots of different reasons. And so I don't think there's any one linear candidate journey, but whenever we're thinking about whether we've got the right one, we will map out basically a hand-drawn um, map of all of the touch points in our campaign that students might come into contact with. And what it does is help us to see whether there's any gaps. So we literally start from the top of the first interaction they would have with the campaign and then go through, if someone met us on campus, what's their experience? If someone met us online, what is their experience? If someone had a mashup of the two, what might their experience be? And we put every touch point throughout the whole campaign on that map that we draw, um, and that helps us to see where there might be missing directions to get to the end point we want them to get to. Right, so you see part of that is your role in the candidate journey is to signpost people yeah. at particular stages to go to a particular place or take a particular action. Yes. So um, one of the things that um, AIA are really well known for is their belief and innovation in digital technology. Mm -hmm. What is it that you think sort of drives that, that belief and that, that sort of culture? Um, so I think our drive comes from essentially wanting the best results. So probably sounds a little bit obvious, but um, I think it, that links into the previous question about making the candidate experience the, gift, the best it can be as well. Um, so I suppose with students spending a lot of their time online now, it's natural that that would be a big part, a big sort of focus for us. It's just sort of naturally part of the cycle. Um, but I think providing the right content in the right place at the right time is uh, sort of key for any campaign. Um, so a lot of our niche product development is being in that area. Um, and consumers, I think, don't expect to see an ugly page when they get to the press buy button. Um, and so we focus on things like once they get to a job application, are they getting the information that they need in, in a nice way um, that's going to help them work out whether that role is right for them or not. So um, that's sort of a, a core focus, really. How um, would you check in that process that it's a good candidate experience? Is it a subjective analysis or is there metrics to say this is a great candidate experience or this, this was not? Yes, I think we can. Um, 
we certainly can compare uh, what's been um, what's sort of worked better for, for some versus others and also we can have um, we can monitor what uh, content is being viewed um, more frequently and then switch out for more content that's similar to that because we can see what's being searched for and what's being viewed so um, there is that metric but quite a lot of it is really uh, understanding from the students what it is that they want front and foremost and then being able to serve that next to an opportunity that's relevant for them um, so for example if they come onto site before and they have decided that um, you know they want to they want to know more information about roles in Wales well we can pick that up and then we can start serving them next time they come back to the site more information about the Welsh office um, so that sort of tailoring of the experience really is helps them get to the right information more quickly. And how do you do that? So by, you know, or as a candidate and I visit the site, say I'm looking for opportunities in Wales, yeah. like you said, then how does, how would you, how does that even work? <laughs> so it's all in the algorithms. Luckily for me, I don't have to deal with it because we've got some techie bots that do. Um, but it's a, we've essentially got a piece of middleware that sits between a website and the ATS and it does all of that clever piece about serving up relevant content next to um, relevant information. Um, so, you know, that's how we can tag you and work out where where you are, what you're interested in, um, and start serving up relevant information based on what we are learning about you as you go. It's all a bit big brother-esque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it creates, a, I guess, a really relevant experience for the candidate, which is yeah. kind of the whole idea, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, you touched a bit earlier on so VR for everyone is obviously virtual reality now. That came into I guess, our worlds and certainly the early career space probably three or four years ago. Uh, how are you seeing it implemented most effectively uh, through a campus or schools campaigns you're working on? Yeah, so I think it was like it was considered to be a really cool piece of technology that people just wanted to put on and see what it was all about initially, wasn't it? And yeah. so I think there was a there was a bit of a initial wow fascination. Um, but I think now we're, we're seeing that people are having to work a bit harder to make it more meaningful. Um, so I think the more recent um, sort of iterations have been a bit more focused on making it more specific to what uh, an employer is trying to get across. Um, and I don't just think coming up with a cool piece of tech on campus is, is enough anymore. So um, I think in assessment, for example, I know there's been quite a lot of introduction of VR, that sort of thing I think we see being... Um, big for the future because it allows um, an employer to give a student a bit of a flavour as to what they can expect when they come into the role um, and so for that filtering piece and a bit of a cultural fit as well um, it can be quite useful in those sorts of senses so I think we'll see more of that um, in the future and probably less of the gimmicky stuff. Yeah I guess uh, some people listening would be thinking oh well VR is just really gimmicky and people are just using it because it's something cool. Yeah. Could you give us maybe an example of a real practical application of it and how someone might have used it in a way that has really added value other than being cool. Yeah, I guess, so this is sort of similar, but it's mixed reality um, and it's not recruitment related, so excuse the tangent, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with HoloLens. Nope, not. I also don't know what mixed reality is. <laughs> yeah. So it's sort of a mashup of the um, technological piece, but also actually being there and involved as well. So um, HoloLens, which is 
sort of takes it to another level. Imagine FaceTime but on steroids. So if someone was working away for a long period of time, um, their kids and them could set up a, a sort of what they call polyportation, um, and it would be like the parent and the child were in the room together, and so it would it would sort of beam them in if you like. Wow. So you Brilliant. could play together. Obviously, it's still um, it's still not like a real person. <laughs> But uh, it looks like they're in the room with you and you feel like they're in the room with you. Um, so I think interest in, in terms of learning, I think that could be quite interesting because there are um, facilities already, I think particularly in the States, that are setting up um, ways to learn using stuff like HoloLens. And so, for example, um, if people are learning medicine, instead of just having those, you know, those things you had at school in biology that were like skeletons and you oh, pulled yeah. them apart and they were like, this is the heart, and it was all <laughs> a piece of a lump of plastic. Um, now they're able to actually put on this headgear and see what looks like a real heart beating and understand how it all works. And so from an education point of view, that could be amazing in terms of setting people up for the real workplace as opposed to just theory and, and sort of books and stuff. It's still quite niche, and as soon as it becomes a bit main scale, mainstream, then sky's the limit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it sounds amazing, right? It's a, it's a, also, sounds pretty scary. Yeah, <laughs> <to be> honest. <laughs> <laughs> mixed reality. But I think when when the VR first came in, uh, personally, I was thinking it was going to go into more of the attraction side of, of uh, early career recruitment. It, it seems to me like there's been it's been trialed there. Yeah. But actually, there's been so much more uh, development into the assessment and selection side. Yeah. Um, and actually, as Jack was saying, you know, actually, could you get into interviews and giving people actual like experiences? And I feel like Gen Z are all about experiences and like being mm -hmm. there in the moment. And is there anything else you think that has been used like that? Say maybe out on campus or in schools. You think that has such a really interesting uh, experience that you've seen. Uh, VR related or just anything? Yeah, I guess VR related. I guess you've the, the conversation. Sort of experience. Yeah, experience. I think that's what students today are used to. Yeah, so I am all for experiences. I, I'm quite biased because obviously we create a lot of experiences in house. Um, so I've probably got a couple of examples that spring to mind within the last year. Um, one that you're familiar with, the Accenture yes. booth, Powerful Minds booth. What was that one? Um, so it's essentially a, you, you go into this booth um, and it sort of takes you on a journey um, and as you are being served up different experiences, um, it's reading your mind waves and building a profile of the sort of mindset that you are. Is this real life? <laughs> yes, we have built it. Wow. <laughs> um, with Accenture and, and, well, lots of people involved. Um, but yeah, essentially, so you, you go into this booth, you have all these experiences, you react to them, because naturally every human does react to it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so it's reading your mind waves, there's lights on the booth that change in correlation with your mood, um, and then it builds a profile of you, and when you come out, you get given details of your, um, your sort of mindset and, and what that means in terms of how you might fit into a role at Accenture. Wow, um, mind blown. Yeah, but in terms of an experience, it's really intriguing because it's a sort of self-contained unit. There's all these lights on the outside. Students aren't quite sure what's inside, and so it's the sort of mystery of it gets them interested in the first instance. And then being able to go in there and have something that's personalised, I think that's 
really important for the experience piece as well. You know, people are excited by learning about themselves or having something that's tailored or personalised. Um, so we, we sort of try and focus on that where we can. Um, so that, that would definitely be one of them. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose in terms of a, another one that's more sort of engineering technology focused, um, Siemens, uh, Sir William Siemens Challenge. And so for that one, it was more of a um, students, a multidisciplinary sort of teams were signing up to go to um, a 48 hour event. And they were given a huge kit list um, with loads of different gizmos in it. And their task for the weekend was to visualise sets of data, which sounds a little bit dry, but when you see, <laughs> so um, for example, they ha so Siemens have something called MindSphere, um, and it can monitor lots of data sets. And so if you were opening and closing the door, for example, it could monitor how many times that was happening, and that would be one data set. Right. So when you're visualising it, um, we, had, they, we gave them loads of this uh, pieces in their kit, and they were able to, the students were able to pick things that depicted different parts of these data sets. So for example, if there was a piece talking about how many times the door was opening and closing, they might have a light that's signaling that. And then there might be, for another piece of data, the fan comes on and off um, as and when these things are happening, uh, and it blows some balls around a box. So there's loads of different ways you can visualise it, and there's some there's a video of it and it's really cool the stuff that they came up with but essentially just getting them to this location with loads of different pieces of kit with similar sorts of interests and giving them 48 hours um, was quite interesting to watch. How um, how does this benefit the candidate then? I think it's all about, you talked about the candidate journey at the start and yeah. I think it's brilliant to give them cool, exciting, new things, yeah. certainly for the, the generation we're talking about here, that's going to excite them. But talks about with Accenture, like they, mm -hmm. they get something out of it, they've learned something about how their brain works. Yeah. Is, is that the the outcome, I think, of all this, that you're educating them with something that they can take away, yeah. learn about themselves and discover? I think that's the key. I think students, everyone really, has become savvy to being marketed to. Um, and so people can spot it easier, and so we have to work harder to give them something of value so that they'll listen to what we have to say or at least not even necessarily listen but naturally build an affinity because you've given them something of value and so with essentially they've learned something about themselves the Siemens they got that big kit and they were able to do something that interested them with like-minded people um, but from our point of view you know they hired or, or offered to a third of the people that did that 48 hour challenge so if we hit on the that what we call the sweet spot really between what the employer wants to um, get out of it, but also what the student can get out of it, both parties benefit. Um, and I think that's particularly with things like programmatic becoming a becoming a sort of bigger bigger outlet as well. I think even with things as subtle as that, we're going to have to get smarter with the sorts of messages we put on there because it's more passive. And it's not just saying jobs, jobs, jobs like we've always done. Um, so yeah, there's quite a lot of really focusing, adding value for the students. Uh, Generation Z for anyone born uh, from 2000 onwards who are now dealing with in early careers. Um, 
they are digital natives. They know how to use uh, use technology. And you just touched on some fun stuff you've been doing with a couple of clients there. Uh, WhatsApp is such a huge channel, um, and you've done a bit of work bringing WhatsApp into the recruitment process with LNS, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Talk us a bit more about how that works. And yeah. So um, essentially, they they were lovely and were guinea pigs. Yeah. <laughs> um, a few years ago now for introducing WhatsApp into their candidate journey um, and it's proved really successful. They've got fantastic feedback from students as to being able to talk to someone um, and it's quite interesting. We actually get uh, people that are writing in on that WhatsApp feed asking whether there's a human at the other end because I think they're half expecting it to be a chatbot <laughs> um, and when someone comes back they're, they're often quite surprised. Um, so it's, it's worked very well in terms of not just the attraction piece, but also once they get into the application process. Um, and I know particularly, statistically speaking, females are more likely to drop out of the application process once they're part way through um, due to lack of confidence. And so having something like WhatsApp available to them throughout that part of the process as well then allows them to have someone that they can talk to and ask questions of if they find that they get stuck or they're not sure whether they can do it or whether they're right for it, it, it gives us an opportunity to have that conversation with them before we lose them. Um, so it's proved effective in that sense and for the apprentice side of things um, in particular we've had uh, parents for example um, on some of the WhatsApp channels that have been asking questions um, because they've got questions too and they don't always know where to go to to get the answers. So it's definitely definitely been useful. Um, obviously there's a bit of an investment of time, uh, but we see um, clients that have said they've had a lot fewer emails to the generic email inbox than they used to and people instead choose WhatsApp as a preference, which I think is natural because that's the way we communicate these yeah. days, isn't it? Is that, is that just regular WhatsApp? Or is it like a you know yeah. business version for? Yep, just regular WhatsApp. Um, they have a separate phone for it, so um, it can be handed around and, and managed. Um, for some of our clients, we manage it on their behalf, but it's it's probably not as much work as most people think. Yeah, you, you touched a bit on um, chatbots. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they are not human. Um, no. but can be really effective. So tell us a bit more about how, what you know about chatbots and how they work and how you see What them. is a chatbot? Well, yeah, what is a chatbot? <laughs> it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a, essentially a robot-powered thing um, that is programmed to behave as if you're talking to a human. Um, so I guess we... I suppose there's various different uses for chatbots. We've seen quite a lot of people that will use them as almost like an FAQ type um, application, which is fine, it's not wrong. Um, I suppose we try and uh, make sure that navigation gets people to where they want to go first and foremost, and then that then just becomes an additional aid as opposed to replacing the structure in a website, for example. Um, what I think is quite clever though is chatbots nowadays you can feed them information so that they learn. So really you see them come to full capacity at about three to six months into their life. So what are the different ways that you can use chatbots? Like what different ways are organisations using them? 
Um, so I guess you've got a couple of types. There's the FAQ version, um, which is very much a decision tree type model, um, which helps people get to the answers more quickly. Um, it should be, in order to be effective really, we'd say it should be supplementary to having a good navigation. Um, you, you wouldn't have it as an alternative to. Um, and then there's also the sort of the, the clever ones that learn as you go. Um, so AI essentially is helping to feed them information and they're learning. And so within about three to six months, you've got something that is a lot more sophisticated than it was at launch. Um, so that's, that's quite an interesting aspect. It becomes a little bit more human-like um, as you go. Uh, but we're also thinking, you know, it, it should be used not just on the attraction piece, but could it be used further on, like on boarding and helping people understand uh, the sort of questions and queries they might have later on down the process. So um, different uses. And I think uh, WhatsApp has just introduced um, a new API as well, which allows for chatbots. So it might be, watch this space, there might be some scope there um, to, to have more sort of automation within WhatsApp as well. You can use it for your friends, do you think? <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Alex is not here at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> um, so I'll cover chatbots. Um, want to touch a bit on gamification. Because yes. that's, that's a, a big word in the, I guess the tech, uh -huh. uh, tech world. So I guess it's been introduced into the recruitment process and I think the likes of competitions in marketing and attraction elements, um, ed tech is obviously quite a big area, you've got game based assessments, yep. there's quite a lot of um, opportunity to make things a bit more fun and interesting. So you know, what, what's your take on gamifying certain processes, because there's obviously lots of pros I've mentioned, there might yeah. be a few drawbacks as well. Yeah, so I think um, we've certainly seen success with using gamification in the upfront attraction piece, provided it's doing a, a job as opposed to being a gimmick. Um, so, for example, for Jaguar Land Rover, um, we've worked with them on an online treasure hunt, but it's the different stages are designed to filter out whether they've got the ability to code and whether they're te technically minded. Um, but it's also helped us get to a new audience that we wouldn't have been able to do without the gamified element because um, being able to interact with a game that feels like fun and not like we're selling them a job um, has allowed technology type candidates to consider um, a car manufacturer who previously they may have thought of primarily recruiting mechanical engineers for example. Um, so it sort of helps you open up doors to people that wouldn't naturally consider a role with you as well as those that, that would. So it helps get to more of those passive candidates. Um, and I think in terms of what we were saying about media earlier as well, it helps to give you something else to talk about on those platforms as opposed to just broadcasting job messages um, because you can promote the sorts of competitions or games that they can get involved in. And I think on the assessment side, um, we've seen obviously quite a lot of uh, introductions of um, gamified assessment and I think it's good in terms of being able to assess people a different way that's not purely based on academia and that you can't necessarily cheat as easily as you may have with techniques where you can prepare for them. Um, I think the key for that piece is making sure that students are aware that it's based on it's sort of rooted in science.
clients and also to give feedback afterwards. So sometimes when we've been doing focus groups, students have said, oh, you know, we've had, um, I, I applied for one company and, and I did this game, and then they assessed me based on that. Well, how can they know whether I'm good or not when I've just played a game? And I think unless it's explicitly explained to them what's happening and how you're being assessed, it can feel a little bit um, confusing to them, I suppose, because it's not what they'd normally expect. So they, they don't understand what they're being screened, screened out on. Right, so it needs a tiny bit more explanation than just yeah. putting the game in front of somebody. Yeah, and giving them the feedback to help them see what was measured and how it was measured, because sometimes it's just a bit baffling, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose, how do you make it so it's fun but not childish? For, because I guess that would be a concern yeah. for me. And if I was thinking of going through one, I might be thinking more, you know, I might be a graduate or, you know, I might be 21 or I might be a school leaver at 17, 18. And I might think maybe some of these games could be childish. How would you... I think, again, that the science behind how it's assessing you is quite interesting. Back to the Accenture booth we were talking about, it was, it was amazing how many students just wanted to understand how it worked. How was it reading my mind? How were the lights responding to how I was feeling? And I think the science bit around it, even if the mechanics of it look a bit childish, if they understand what's going on behind it, I think that is the clever part. So I think it almost then doesn't matter what it looks like. That becomes the superficial element. So I guess through um, your role and all the different campaigns you've worked on, you've worked on like probably tons of different <laughs> tech and stuff that's really interesting. And um, one of the things I've always found from you know my experiences. I usually learn way more from my failures, stuff that's a complete disaster, more than stuff that worked really well. Could you run us through any major failures or any things that really just don't work well in this in this market? Um, so I think we years ago now we introduced an augmented reality brochure, um, and so the profiles instead of being written profiles um, popped out of the page, and the um, profilee would stand there and give you their take on what a role at the company was like um, and it worked when you saw it in action it was amazing it was really cool but the problem was loads of students didn't have an augmented reality app on their phone or the inclination to download one that took up a load of space on their phone <laughs> um, and so whilst it might have looked great for the people that did have that application quite a lot of them didn't and so the uptake wasn't as good as we would have hoped it would be and I think there's a bit of a learning in there of there's sometimes there's merit in being the early adopter and the brave one, um, but only if your audience is geared up to handle whatever the early thing you're putting in front of them is. Um, and so for that reason, so things like you've probably heard people talking about um, NFC, the near field communication, mm -hmm. um, until all of the phones have them activated or the the sort of application we'd need them to have uh, sort of activated. We've sort of been holding back with some of our NFC-based ideas because we want to make sure that as many people as possible can actually interact with them. <laughs> One of your VPs, uh, Stephen Ehrlich, uh, describes himself as a bit of a tech geek. Um, so what technology is, is he trialling at the moment out in the US and what is, are you thinking you can introduce into the early career space in the future? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, Steve's got loads of ideas, um, but I think that um, there are some interesting points. So he, his, the 
view is that potentially jobs in the future will be looking for us and for the students as opposed to the students looking for jobs and we started to see that happening already um, and so the need for an enhanced personal profile is becoming ever more important. Um, I think there's also uh, an increase in the sort of focus on video content. Um, we know, we already know that YouTube is pretty much the biggest channel, almost regardless of age, um, or the most most used channel, I should say. But actually, if it's a topic they're really interested in or passionate about or want to know more about, they will watch or read longer term con uh, sort of longer form content. It's not um, something that they don't want. It's just that they want to be able to scan everything and decide what they spend their time on. So yeah, I think if you've got something valuable um, that can be made into a longer piece of content, that it, it will get traction. Yeah, I think that's great advice because people seem to at the moment always focus too much or focus a lot on very short pieces. I guess yeah. Yeah. Because that has been the trend, isn't it? You get much more exposure from anything up to sort of one minute, mm -hmm. uh, and it obviously drops off from there. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the final topic of today is going to be more about uh, Google for Jobs. This obviously uh, hit the UK uh, fairly recently uh, in the summer, and tell us a bit more about you know, what you know about Google for Jobs. It might be quite alien for lots of us. Um, so yeah, give some insight into what you what you know. Yeah. Um, so Google for Jobs is essentially one of many entries that Google have had into the job market. Um, they've also got an ATS, uh, which is called Google Hire. Um, but Google essentially no longer optimised jobs against all other pages. They Instead, they've brought together all of the job role information into a single results page. Um, so you can search for graduate jobs in Google, for example, and then right away you'll see like an Indeed style UX in the search results page with jobs that match your request. Um, and it's also got filtering capability, so it works almost like you'd expect a holiday site to, um, mm -hmm. which is obviously how the consumer wants to handle that sort of information. Um, it's kind of it's making it easier for job seekers to find the role that fits their needs and wants, essentially, which is what Google was built to do. Um, and it's it's forcing companies to be clear and upfront about who they are as a company. So, um, what's the role? What's the role all about? And the basics that we'd expect, essentially, from a, a retail experience. Um, so, it will it sort of forces your hand on things like salary ranges. So, Google pull those in from the likes of PayScale and Indeed. Um, and if you don't include um, a, a sort of salary, it will assume your salary based on the information it's pulling in. That's so cool. it's quite um, it's it's trying to force your hands in terms of in terms of including salary because it knows that their users want that. Um, it also will um, pull in benefits and reviews. So Google pulls in um, reviews directly from the likes of Glassdoor, Indeed, Kununu, and RMP and RMA. Um, so essentially the sort of review piece will become more important um, and making sure that any reviews that you have on your own site are easily searchable for Google will become important as well. Um, and I think for us it's kind of quite exciting because we've already got tools to help um, make employers' jobs more searchable in Google. Um, so that will sort of support even more recruiters getting, getting to the top of the list. So um, I think we the stat is something like a third of all applicants start their application process via Google. Um, and I think if employers are transparent about what they're offering to candidates, they will benefit from Google. And, and that's the sort of setup that they've aimed for, really, this mutually beneficial relationship.
So does it mean the end for jobs boards? Can people just pay and put their job directly onto Google Jobs? No, so it doesn't, it's not that it works like that. It is finding the relevant information from all of the sources out there. So it's still gonna go and get that information, be that from a job board or a view site, a, a company's website, that information is still out there for Google to crawl. So what it will, be, what it, what it will depend on is how well set up the jobs boards and, and websites and whatever are, are set up for Google to find the information that they need in order to serve it. And is there, you, are there any recommendations that you give to, um, from the employer side for their own um, early careers websites that they would need to be making any adaptions to what they're doing so that they could take advantage of, of it? Yeah, I mean, there's the technical side. Um, Google has advice on it, we can advise on it, but so there's the technical side about what you can do in terms of you know, the, the data in the back end of the system. Um, but there's also the clarity and the transparency around the information you're giving. So if it's looking for reviews, benefits, salaries, make sure they're really obvious and clear and that it, it, they can be found because if you're not publishing them, Google will start to make assumptions which could be wrong. Um, and then your audience is potentially going to see that information because there is there is no control really about making sure that you know that's not on there. If, if the information isn't there to be found, assumptions will start to be made by the algorithm. I think this is where, the, where this practically comes into play is when I guess companies have jobs and put them as competitive salary. Yeah, exactly. Competitive actually will turn up as zero uh, in in the Google for Jobs algorithm when it won't pull it through. So. Is this the end of companies putting competitive and trying to get away with it? I think companies will still do it. The thing is, what's worse than it being zero is that it will start looking at things like Glassdoor and the salary ranges that are estimated on the likes of Payscale and Glassdoor and making an, a sort of estimate of what it thinks your salary should be. Of course, if in particular, if you're, if you're paying under the market average, that could be a problem um, because then it's going to appear that you're paying more and actually when they come to interview, they're not going to have that salary offered. Um, or on the flip side, it could estimate below what you're offering and then actually you're offering something better than Google's saying, so why not advertise it anyway? Um, mm. there's, there's no way around it really. Sadly, the right thing to do is to advertise it. Yeah, yeah I think that's good for, for everyone and definitely good for the candidate experience. Yeah brings us right, right back to where we started in terms of the, the kind of experience. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you very much for today. I think we've covered a whole range of really cool topics and I've certainly learned a bunch of new stuff that I hadn't considered. Uh, mind especially blown with the Accenture Mind Reading tool, which is amazing. Um, so thank you very much everyone for listening. Thank you very much to Alex. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to Ollie. Oh yeah, thank you. And we'll see you guys soon. For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.